I mean, if you remember, like, years and years and years ago, they had that stuff, like, early 2000s, trying to advertise this game of grub, and the whole gimmick was it was in a kind of a tube so you didn't have to get your hands salty. But that's what, I guess that's how that works. Like, you don't get the twisty stuff on your hands, you put it straight into your mouth. Yeah, the thing is, we we gamers, we have defeated such branding attempts, marketing, whatever, by, you know, using regular-ass bags of chips as feed bags. Oh, yeah. I don't need no tube. I've got my feed bag. Player 2 Pixelcast, episode 117. I am your host, Tim Henderson, back in the host chair, back in Japan. It's cooling down, I can speak again. I'm not sweating for the first time in what feels like about three months. And here to celebrate, we have... Just Steve. Hi, Steve. Hey, Tim. Yes, it's just me. Yeah, but chaos is, like, broken out. I'm not going to go into the details, but chaos has broken out in at least a couple of Player 2 households of, like, different forms and so what could have been a full show is now a two-man show and you know maybe god is just laughing at me from above because it's like you know what we're going to talk about like is this the year of like the big epic just crazy long going a massive adventure type type game let's say broadly speaking and i was given steve of all people to talk about this with i'm known for not particularly caring for those games so this will be enjoyable might almost say that your middle name may as well be give me a game and have it no more than 10 hours long. So, this, yeah, this is going to be a thing. Probably. This is going to be a thing. Anyway, before that, though, we have been playing games. Games that, you know, are not 50-hour epics. Um, even if we have to, like, rush through them. And sadly, we have not played much Samba de Amigo yet, although that is happening in the background. You should buy Samba de Amigo just based on my Dreamcast memories. Anyway, um, Steve, you're actually playing, like, proper noun the game or something. Uh, yeah, well, I, I ra- rolled credits on Immortals of Abium, which is uh, the debut title from Ascendant Studios, which uh, has a whole bunch of people who have made games that you know. Dead Space, Call of Duty, The Walking like Dead, mm. um, the Telltale stuff. Like, it's made up of a lot of former devs from uh, Sledgehammer and uh, Telltale uh, Studios. So, this is their... Uh, I don't know, I guess it feels more Call of Duty than Telltale, um, that's for sure. Uh, you take on the role of Jack, a uh, promising mage who is a triarch. That is, he can use the three colours of magic, red, green, and blue. And uh, you are basically traversing the world of Avium in the middle of this uh, millennia-spanning uh, civil conflict uh, between, well, maybe it's not civil, between uh, five nations, uh, two of which have left standing after so many battles have been fought and it's kind of like the final stand for control of magic in the realm and you know proper noun proper noun fantasy setting but your name is Jack Let me get, I actually did not know this your name is actually uh, it's, Jack it's, without a C it's J-A-K so you know fantasy spelling and all of that and Dexter alright mhm um yeah it's uh it's it's really cool so one of the things that they have absolutely nailed is the combat. So there's nothing worse than obviously a game that's primary uh, noun is shooty, shooty bang bang. I mean that's um, not and it that's doesn't. Not mean to, this is basically a first person shooter dressed up in fantasy. It, yeah, it's a first it's a first person shooter where you're shooting magic bullets instead of just bullets. Uh, so and you know the three different magic types just sort of correspond to weapons in other games. So red is your shotgun. Green is your uh, high fire rate, low damage weapon, and blue is kind of your, like, all-rounder. Probably closest would be a pistol, or maybe in between a pistol and a rifle somewhere around there. It's the just that sort of, like... The- yeah, yeah, it's the it's the it's sort of, like, the default. You've got a bunch of other abilities and things you can use as well, and the game also wants you to traverse these fairly large areas and look in nooks and crannies for hidden items, as well as... Uh, yeah, do some platforming puzzles and sometimes combine all three where you're traversing, platforming, shooting. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool if a little bit over long. What a shock that I think a game is a bit too long. <laughs> it is actually, like, does the platforming work okay? Because, like, first person platforming has not had to suck for a good while now, actually. Um, it gets around a lot of it with the double jump and float. So, but again, like, it's always the same thing. Like, you're, uh, 
like the depth perception is always off and it's hard to tell where your feet actually are so sometimes you'll overshoot platforms or Mm. undershoot platforms but you do have like a little vine whiplash sort of thing you can use which can save you in some circumstances but most of the time they're pretty generous with their platform sizing I didn't come across anything that I thought was you know too egregious in terms of really making you struggle with those first-person platforming sections, which, yeah, it is a genre that tends to not do particularly well um, just because of that awkwardness of motion. But again, once you throw a magic double jump and little float maneuver in there, uh, you know, it sort of takes a lot of the pressure off. Now, this this sounds very much like my jam. It, um, how does this like it? Kind of, except with magic skin, but it's kind of like those B, almost like B tier shooters, like companies like Raven Software, like used to make all the freaking time in like the, I don't know, early this, 2000s, 2010s. Yeah, this thing feels like it would have been right at home on the Xbox 360. Um, and I mean that in the best possible way. It's got a lot of Halo uh, vibes as well as some Dishonored vibes in terms of the world building and storytelling. And, like, when I say Halo, I mean, like, Halo 1 to 3, none of that more recent garbagio, but the the good ones. And, you know, really, especially that first Halo, like, sort of expansive areas that don't necessarily let you go everywhere, but give you the illusion that there's quite a lot to explore and do, when it is your basic sort of hub-and-spoke approach. Like, you'll go back to the main city over and over again in between missions and then sort of flit around using fast travel to get to the other biomes of the world. See, this sounds exactly, exactly like what I want from a first-person shooter, and I believe it's, like, very, very thoroughly single-player as well. Yeah, there's no um, multiplayer whatsoever. It's definitely all single-player, a couple of different difficulty levels. I clocked in at about 25 hours, and I think I switched to easy about two-thirds of the way through that uh, because some, I think... This is something that I'm sure they'll be able to patch as well, but some of the balancing in the game was completely out of whack. Like, I would fight a boss and have no problem, and then I'd be stuck in a room with a couple of mobs that were just, you know, it was just a bad encounter design, and it was, you know, just sort of not fun to play it. It was a little bit too frenetic, especially because the game is like, okay, green enemies, use your green weapon, blue enemies, use your blue weapon, red enemies, use your red weapon, and... It's actually a little bit slow to switch between weapons in it, which is probably my only gripe with the combat. So when you're trying to juggle through these three colors and forgetting that, oh, it goes in this order and you can't necessarily go backwards and in terms of like, oh, I need to switch back to green, but I need to cycle through blue first and I've got all these enemies coming at me and I've got to try to float around in this floaty combat arena and jump over here and... And I'd say that was probably less than half a dozen times that happened in the game, but when I was getting towards the latter half of it, and obviously I'm trying to get the review done as quickly as I can, yeah, uh, I guess I... Yeah, come in on time. Um, no, we got it uh, a little bit late, which I, you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, and obviously I'm just wanting to get it wrapped, so I'm not dragging it out, and... Again, I think it's just... I, I know that they have already started to put out some patches and they have tweaked some of those things hmm. uh, because obviously they're... It says in the options menu they're tracking that telemetry data uh, if you don't opt out. So they probably know that it needs some more fine-tuning and balancing. Um, like famously, which again, L- Valve knew that everybody quit at that elevator in Half-Life 2 episode, whatever, whatever. Oh, yeah, they, they know all of that stuff. And so I imagine those issues that I do have with the game uh, will get uh, polished out and I do think that the way the combat system works you probably want to play it at least on normal and I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day once they sort everything out it's kind of like the Halo situation where you know heroic difficulty or whatever is like the technical default like that's the experience the devs are aiming for because I assume everybody's, like, super, super... Hug. Although I do have to um, wonder, like, again, like, thinking back to the era that this game evokes. You're playing this on Xbox. Yeah, uh, Series like, X. Do you think it would be made a little bit easier with a keyboard mouse PC? So, assuming you actually have a PC that's powerful enough to play it, because I think the requirements of this are pretty bonkers. Yeah, they are pretty high, and I, uh, again, like, it, it's... I, I don't know what's going on underneath the hood of things, obviously. It's a little bit surprising... Um, because it, the visuals can be a little bit patchy. Some parts of it are very impressive and some parts of it are a little bit undercooked and I don't know if that's just 
the Series X and what beefy PC specs look like these days, uh, that gulf widening. Um, but, yeah, I, again, like, just the vibes of it, it really does feel like it would have fit into that era very nicely. And in terms of keyboard and mouse, I don't know. I mean, some... Potentially with some of the, the puzzle challenges, especially where you have to... You know, everything is solved with a gun in this game. Like, oh, I need to open this door. Better shoot some stuff. So you're shooting, you know, colored crystals and trying to do it in particular orders and some of them have timers and some of them don't. And then you can slow some other things down. So it's sort of flitting between those things. And I think sometimes, yeah, that extra accuracy you do tend to get with a decent mouse and keyboard setup would probably have helped. But I think overall... It, it really is that sort of much more enjoyable game to kick back on the couch and hammer your way through. Yeah. I, I'm going to be looking forward to like over the Christmas period. I think this is like, if I have like a, again, cause 20 hours sounds pretty epic to me these days. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, I think a lot of other places had sort of set around the 15 hour mark and I kind of call BS on that. Like maybe if you're skipping every cut scene and hammering through every encounter on easy, but if you are engaging in any of the other stuff that's in there, especially the stuff that lets you upgrade your weapons and unlock some more gear and other things like the environmental challenges and hidden bits, then it ends up being a lot longer. And I think it's probably a testament to the game design that I sort of engage in that stuff organically. Like I'd sort of said to Paul, I'm like, I don't know where all these 15 hour reports are coming from. This game is taking me way longer than I would have thought it was going to based on that stuff. Um, and it could also be a side effect of, I think the pacing in it is not great. Uh, uh, that's probably like my biggest criticism of it is. I'm almost and, at the end again, of Final Fantasy 16. I don't need another really long game where the pacing is kind of wibbly wobbly all over the place. Yeah, that's the thing. I would like, it's not super long, but I feel like it's just, I, I don't know if there's a, a few parts they could have trimmed or maybe they were aiming for it to be longer and they just had to hack out some stuff that. You know, because that's a thing that can happen in games quite a bit as well. Like, some areas are a little bit shorter than I would have maybe expected. Um, so, I mean, that could be part of it as well. And, you know, it's their debut title from this studio. I'm sure they probably had more that they wanted to put into it, but realised that it was already getting a bit long in the tooth. I think it. I think it's just long enough that it doesn't wear out its welcome. I was very happy to see the credits roll when they did, and I was sort of left with that feeling like, if they're going to put out a DLC, I would be happy to play that, and uh-huh. not like I have with some of these other, especially longer games, uh, like, you know, Horizon Forbidden West, where I'm just thinking, oh, thank God that's over. I enjoyed Horizon. But anyway, yeah, that was um, Moles of Avium. I believe it is current-gen exclusive. Um, it is... The- uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's on... I think it is. It's Series X, PS5, and PC, I believe. Yeah, it is not Siri um, involves of Avalon, which I almost said, because that is the name of a bad, evil company in the little game that I've been playing by way of Gunbrella, which I am very disappointed to say is not a game adaptation of the Perry Up the Foo episode of Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> that would have been excellent. Now, what it is is a still pretty good um, side-scroller, platformy, shooty-shooty thing. Um, I've forgotten the developer's name. They did Ghetto Robo, which is kind of like famously famously very black and white it's a devolver uh, joint that's the- yeah it's it's devolver digital they're like you know they're the a24 of the video game space yeah and it, it is a quintessentially devolver game um and it's i mean this is a very very snappy game as i guess you might expect like it wastes no time it's like like brief intro here's your character oh your family's being murdered you somehow for some reason have a umbrella that is also a gun now go kill a bunch of people while trying to figure out what happened yeah, that's great. I mean, it's more games should be able to do that. It's, like, It does not care about the emotional impact of anything that happens. It's just like, this is what happened, this is why you're doing it, go! It's like the intro page to a, uh, a Master System game manual or something. It's like, you're doing stuff, go do stuff. Oh man, you maybe want to talk about Monster Boy and the way that evoked that. But anyway, um, I will get to that maybe at some future episode. But for now, yeah, um, Gumbrella, it... I mean, that associate, like, I'm not joking when I say I'm disappointed that it's not a, like, game adaptation of that episode of Cowboy Bebop, because, like, that immediately came to mind when I was thinking, like, umbrellas that shoot shit. Um, this is kind of like a kind of, like, a grungy, kind of, like, grind core, but also very pixelati. And, like, it's got a lot of film grain, which in the menu, at least on the Switch version, 
um, I guess I can't really speak for how it like works on PC. Annoyingly, I was like, I kind of want to turn the film grain down. Like, I don't really want that much fuzz. I get what they're kind of going for. Like, the game has a style, but it's not pulled off superbly. It's pulled off well enough. But the um, film grain seems to be tied to the brightness. So more br- more oh. film grain means more brightness, and it's a pretty dark game to begin with. Um, and that you feels like combine feels like something maybe they can fix. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, you combine that with you know again. Switch and I'm playing this 50% of the time on the sofa with the curtains drawn, but other times I'm kind of like at the mercy of how is the weather outside when I'm out and about. I'm like having that film grain up just so I can, um, you know, see shit. See? Yeah, good lord. It's back to the Game Boy days. But yeah, I mean, do it's credit. The stuff it's doing is actually pretty good. Like, I like, I like the general structure. It does a very good job of, um, kind of like small town, like just enough kind of like interaction with like a bunch of characters, um, before you kind of go off with like, kind of slowly kind of like builds out like what initially seems like a series of levels into like something of a connected world without going full on metroidvania you you kind of want to call it that just because you may go back to the same spot at some point but it is always actually moving forward in a way that i would not associate with that Mm. that genre the thing i like and kind of like i understand why they couldn't like fully um fully utilize it is you know the actual gumbrella which is an umbrella that is a gun um, is yeah. very good at like catching up draft. So that's actually used. It can also be a shield, but it's kind of used to like just move around like very rapidly. You pull that thing and you go flying up into the air and obviously going to sail down, which is unfortunate. Which when it's working really well is actually like super fun, but it's also meant that they've just by necessity or you know just they, they don't have Nintendo side Nintendo size um, development budgets here. Have to have a few invisible walls that kind of like make me think I'm going to go exploring, and then no, I'm not going to go exploring. I mean, I think that's just a part of a particular budget level of gaming because Immortals has that as well. Like, you know, you can platform and jump wherever you want until you can't. Hmm. But this is also a side scrolling platformer that really, especially if you grew up with that shit, evokes a sense that if I can get up there, there should be a little hidden treasure chest on yeah, the little... screen, and it's. It's not happening most of the time. Um, the combat, though, the combat I mostly really like, and I'm not sure if it's by design or not. So you, the Gumbrella by default is a shotgun with infinite ammo, and you can collect and stuff, and then you gradually upgrade it, because, of course, you can. It's, can, it's the 2020s. Um, but generally, the way it works, at least when I'm playing the way I enjoy it, is... Because you technically could be, like, flying all over the place and, like, trying to swap out for, like, maybe a sub-ammo that you have, and then obviously very fast movement can you pull out the umbrella to like block a bullet versus shooting versus jumping versus whatever which can get very messy and very hectic very quickly so generally at its best it's like okay i'm just gonna wait i'm gonna see where the enemy is i'm gonna pay a little bit of attention and then like just get in there shoot 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 bang everybody's either dead or you're dead you do it again or you move on and when when it's like that it's absolutely fantastic it's got some cool little like weird ai stuff that you can toy around with there's you know fire propagation exploding barrels I once just tricked a guy to follow me into the... I didn't realize this would happen. It was cool. Tricked a guy to follow me into some water and he just drowned. He's just like lying face down. The guy like bobbing up and down there. It's very crafty of you. But the one downside of this is it does have boss fights because of course it does. And what I just described as liking about... Liking about the way the combat works doesn't really work in a boss fight if you want it to last more than 10 seconds. Oh yeah, so, I, maybe that de- that Deus Ex Human Revolution problem of you know oh, it's shooting not that bad. Boss fights, these are these are at least doable. At least they're they're doable. They're just not what I enjoy about the combat. They feel a little bit out and of step with the rest of the game. Half of them I definitely died the first time around, like quite like before I really figured out what I was doing. Yeah, oh, that sort of like old school Nintendo like NES era. Oh, you need to. Uh, you didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. Well, now you know. That mixed with, again, there's, like, way more control fiddliness going around. So, it, again, like, it's... Vi- I'm sure, like, the playtesters who've been spent a million years on this could, like, move around perfectly using that, like, umbrella and shooting in the right direction. Which I have to wonder if, like, aiming would be a bit easier with a mouse than, like, relying on that second thumbstick. Because it does have, like, that kind of twin-sticky thing going on that you expect yeah. from, like, every shooter game now. But yeah, know, does it feel like does it feel solid on the Switch though? I mean, it feels mostly solid. I mean, a day one patch just technically dropped today. I had noticed a little bit um, of slowdown, but 
one in, in and of itself, like nothing like crippling or affecting, and it was mostly in a big town scene where there wasn't any action anyway. And two, day one patch just dropped. Maybe that's gone now. Like I, I can't say definitively. But that's what it just definitely um, it definitely feels good. They do it like that movement when you're actually in control of what you're doing and it's not too chaotic. Does feel, it like it feels good? They definitely got the feel down. I think like. That sounds good. And I'm like, I feel like people are starting to maybe not realize that the Switch is getting close to seven years old now. So, uh, you know, the performance isn't necessarily what you would hope for. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is pixel art, but I guess it's pretty simple. Like, it, it's one of, again, like, it's like that kind of budget thing because, you know, they've got like the loading screen, the splash screen, and the art there. And it's like, I see exactly what you're going for. And if the game looked like these pictures, it would absolutely yeah. oozing with atmosphere and that pixel art gets a little bit of the way there it's not generic pixel art but it's not like a huge artistic accomplishment either and then but you know it's fun to play yeah well it, no, it sounds like I, I think I'd be keen on giving it a go because I do like that style of game and it does sound interesting and yeah but I will see how we go depending on how things plan out I may or may not have a review on the site soon let's just say we do but um, until then, we're going to take a short break, and then when we... I'm going to make sure I'm not burning the house down. I'm pretty sure I turned the stove off. And then, yeah, when we come back, we will be having like, possibly a very short rant about whether or not this is the year... the year of the epic adventure. We are back, and yes, as I mentioned at the um, start of this episode, I've somehow ended up with the man who, probably more than anybody else on the site, maybe in all of games journalism, as a massive whole, really doesn't like his stuff to be overlong, which is a little bit ironic, because, you know, we are basically asking the question, has 2023 somehow just become the year of the gigantic, epic, mega-long quest game? And I'm going to give you a chance now, Steve. Do you want to just give me, like, a one-word answer, and then, you know, we can just, like, do a shot and go home? Yes. All right, there you have it. We're done. That was a cool wrap. I mean, That's I, a wrap. We don't need to justify this answer. I, I think... Just take it, word for it. I do, I do think it might possibly be, though, which is just, like, kind of super weird, considering, like, all of the, like, everything is going, you know, free-to-play, multiplayer, let's try and get long tails on... I feel like this stuff comes in waves. I feel like it comes in waves, and I think if we went back, like, five or six years ago, and then five or six years before that, and then five or six years before that, like, we'd probably find similar things, because I think these these larger games can have such extended production cycles that they can really only come out every so often, and I think it just so happened that we've had, uh, you know, the next big Zelda game in the franchise and the next big Bethesda game come out this year alongside probably a few other examples that are slipping my mind at the moment but you know Tears of the Kingdom is a follow up to a six year old game that was technically supposed to be a previous gen game that Nintendo just did it the was. old trick of bump it, it to the next that gen you, system and that way your version that. did come out that's the one I played yep. it was not the best way yeah. to play it well it's I, I feel it's like they very obviously hacked it up to make the Switch version the more desirable one so oh, they, could they absolutely to took out the gamepad functionality in that Oh, yeah. Like, that thing barely functioned on Switch in some of those puzzles. Like, okay, so this is clearly designed for a two-screen experience, so I have to turn my Switch upside down and somehow still look at the screen to solve this puzzle. Go to hell, Nintendo. Um, And obviously Starfield, which, um, like, it's the next big Bethesda game. When did 
Fallout 4 come out. That's a while ago now. 2015, I want to say. But I mean, I mean, part of the thing is, though, it's like, because it's not being big that necessarily makes a game take a long time to come out. Like, cutting the fat is pro- a big part of polish, and like, so... Oh, yeah. Um, take Hollow Knight Silkstone. Like, yeah. that game, I'm sure, that is taking forever. Like, I think I played that at PAX, like, three years ago now or something. I played that at pre-COVID PAX, and that game is still not out. And yet, stuff like, obviously, quite infamously, Assassin's Creed had just gotten bloated beyond our belief, and maybe, contrary to what I'm saying about this year, we have one coming this year, it looks pretty good, and it looks way more razor-focused, and probably a slimmer experience. Which, you know, I'm fully in support of, because I think that series has gotten a bit bloated, and I have to imagine that Ubisoft did get to the point where they're just not seeing the returns on that investment. Like... Yeah. They have all of that data. They know exactly how much of those games are getting finished and exactly how much of that DLC is getting played. And at what point is it not worth the investment to get that 100-plus hours tag on the box when you could develop something for, you know, that's half the length or even a third of the length and probably still rack up the sales? I would be very curious to talk to somebody who actually understands how these budgets are actually spread out to find out, like, how much that affects different things but like I mean we've talked it like there's a big three oh so there's um now I'm blanking so yeah Zelda is probably still standing king of the pile but Tears of the Kingdom which is wild um Starfield just came out maybe not as big as some people were expecting actually but you know still ridiculously huge big Bethesda joint um Final Fantasy 16 that there was a time there was a time PS1 era, when, like, Final Fantasy games came out every couple of years. Yeah, um, and my understanding is 16 is not as long as some of the other entries in the series. I've heard 40 hours tossed around as, like... I feel like 40 you know, hours 7 took me the first time, like, if you, like, mainline it. I feel like it's taken me longer than that. I'm, I think, right at the end now. I mean, I've been faked out once. Fool me mm. once, shame on me, all that. Um, it could definitely go on a lot longer. That game, again, I mentioned earlier in the show, like, pacing problems. I, I'm very up and down on it. It it could be a lot longer, though, because there are so many, so many side quests that I'm just completely ignoring at this point. Um, and then it's freaking Baldur's like Gate. I, oh, yes, Baldur's Gate 3, of course, like that. But I feel like those games are ones that stay in the consciousness for such a long period of time, whereas Final Fantasy seems to have just disappeared. Like, I have not heard a single person really talk about it post-release, yeah, and I'm seeing a lot on Baldur's Gate 3. I think Starfield may disappear before Baldur's Gate 3, and I think it's very, very funny. Depressing, but funny the way that Sony has lucked into Baldur's Gate 3 being a timed console exclusive <laughs> as a perfect, like, perfectly in time to go against Star- Starfield. Look, I, like, you heard it here first, folks. I really wouldn't be surprised if Starfield comes to a PlayStation console in another year or two. Like, it would not be a huge shock to me that once Microsoft has wrung every dime they think they can out of the Xbox fan base that they throw a bone to PlayStation and then they get to be good guy Microsoft again for a little while. Is it Sea of Stars? Which is just oh, yeah, yeah, Sea of Stars Star just, yeah, just come out. That's just come out. I finally out. got my Octopath Kickstarter Traveler. code. Octopath Traveler 2 is apparently excellent. Like, that's one that has kind of, like, kind of swung around again. I like noticing coming up in a few other podcasts and online... A lot of people have, like, finally gotten around and like, going, yeah, it's actually a lot better than the first one now that I've had time to, like, really sit down. That is that is a sentiment I have heard quite a lot, that Octopath, the first game, was pretty garbage, but the second one is actually quite good. So, yeah, it, it just seems like there's oh, a yeah, lot... Xen- when, did, when did Xenoblade Chronicles 3 come out? Was that this that year? Was, that was last year. Last year? Ugh. I have a very specific memory about a conversation about that game that is the only reason why I'm confident that it's last year, but it's definitely last year. But yeah, it, it's just wild. Like, who has... I guess nobody has a time for, like, all of these and, like, people are picking no, and choosing. Isn't it, isn't it just that statistically we buy all these games where we never actually finish any of them, but the company still has our money, so they don't care? If they have, Well, I guess that's where it got... Where we got off this weird path of the, um game as a service thing where they just want the idea to try and keep you in their game buying yeah, which, more and more 
crap. Makes sense because you know you you buy a game, but you don't necessarily buy the time or the inclination to play it. So you spend your sixty to ninety to hundred and thirty dollars with some of these online exclusive games at the moment. Baldur's Gate three on PlayStation five. Thank you very much with no retail release. Um, but again, like I think there's a lot of data that shows that most people don't finish these games. Yeah, I'm I'm probably an abnormally. I can't even speak English anymore. I'm a, I'm abnormal there. Um, I'm definitely going to finish Final Fantasy sixteen, and I would and I've literally being too terrified to start the demo of Octopath Traveler 2 in case that's... <laughs> in case... So I, think I, used to, I think I used to finish those games out of spite. Like, I spent money on you and now I'm going to finish you. But again, these days, like, um, I went through a phase where I, I kept buying, but I wouldn't finish them. And now I'm at the point where I just, I just don't buy them anymore. Yeah, my Steam list is, like, very, very old at this point. It also helps that my computer is also very, very old and maybe next year I will finally... I feel like I said that last year as well. Um, but there's, I don't know, like, it seems like prices are finally coming down back to earth a little bit, so, like, it may actually be for real the next year. Feasible to upgrade your computer again and oh, start. just outright replace, dude. This thing is, um, just about 11 years old. Graphics oh cards, Lord, maybe yes. only 8 or 9. <laughs> so the fact that it's still working at all is in itself, like, a huge value proposition, like, I think I've said this on the show before, that you imagine being in the 90s and saying you had a computer last functionally for an entire fucking decade so with these large games Hmm. do you think that these dev cycles are just getting more and more to the point where and I think we've seen it before with so for example Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 were both a single sort of sprawling game that came out you know once per generation and Zelda has sort of got that way as well like technically um, Breath of the Wild is a Wii U game and technically Tears of the Kingdom is a Switch game so we're talking about one game that's taking six to seven years to come out well the Zelda thing doesn't surprise me because that's just Nintendo being Nintendo yeah um, I mean it's something like games development in general has just you know started to take longer and longer and longer and I don't know if the length of the game has that much to do with it it was just kind of like hit this weird sweet point but what like is what what I'm kind, what I hope the message here is for me at least is that like is it the thing that stands out amongst all this is like they're big meaty single player experiences that are not like aping a lot of the trends that, de- that developers or I guess excuse me publishers mostly have, like, just been chasing the tail of what feels like a decade now. Yeah, and as I think as you mentioned earlier, like, Assassin's Creed coming out, and I think they did try to say this well with Valhalla. They said the map was smaller. Like, this is going to be a tighter Assassin's Creed experience. It was not a tighter experience. (laughs) No, it it turned out to be completely untrue and way more sprawling than some of the stuff that had come before it. Um, But I wonder if they've, you know, finally turning that around and realizing that for their core, like for me and my age and the stage that I'm in, in my life, um, I think they know that their core demographic, like the people younger than me, they're playing games as a service. They're not necessarily caring about these sprawling single player games. And I'm at the point where I don't care about them anymore either. Like I was already sort of started to sour on them over time, but just, I find them less and less rewarding. It's not a unique enough of experience and it's not, engaging enough of an experience to warrant the play times that they're offering and most of the stories are absolute garbage and the writing is subpar uh you're not blowing me away when i could be reading books or watching films and getting much higher quality experiences in much less time so i wonder if they're looking at that and sort of thinking well what if we do trim these experiences down? Like, I'm quite interested to see what a shorter Assassin's Creed looks like, what a tighter Assassin's Creed looks like. I imagine it's going to look like a lot like the original one, actually. Which, again, are we then looping back to that sort of stuff? Like, the lessons they've learned over that period of time and just, you know, I guess less sprawling and not in a good way experiences. Yeah, but again, like, but this year has had a lot of, like, just really really big games and a lot of them oh, are like oh yeah I'm sh- 
I'm sure the sales Shit. data will show that uh, Starfield and Tears of the Kingdom are two amazing, you know, oh, top-selling games for 2023. Like sold, just sold just fucking bananas. But then I would love Nintendo or Bethesda to sort of open up that data and tell me the percentage of people who've completed the game and how long they've played of it and all of those sorts of things. I don't know if completion matters. I think, like, time spent with... Oh, yeah. Because, like, what's the average, like, say, viewing of a YouTube video? Like, what people, like, on average watch the first 5% and then, like, click onto something else anyway? It's... Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that. And that's, you know, don't they have, like, you know, 10 minutes is, like, a good time for that's a YouTube crazy. video these days? Yeah. Maybe I should ask Kusu about our, our channel, like, what actually the is metrics. it I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see how Starfield shakes out. And then, you know, Bethesda traditionally have some pretty uh, decent DLC support for their games afterwards. So I assume we'll get some modules coming out in the near future to keep it in, you know, the consciousness of gamers. I guess I like, wonder like how much they're going to support as a long-term proposition, whereas this is the year where like people are starting to talk about Cyberpunk like it's actually a good game. Yeah, that, well, that's got that, you know, add-on coming out and apparently a bit of a revamp of the base game, so that, that could be, you know, interesting as well. So I'd be curious to see, like, how much Bethesda commits itself to, like, improving Starfield over time, if they... Because, I, I mean, there seem to be some quite valid criticisms of that as well, even in the... Like, I'm never, I've never been a biggest fan of any of Bethesda's games. Um, like, probably should never let me... Would, should never let me review any one of them, because I'll, like, piss somebody off and be like, oh, is your favourite game 6 out of 10? Uh, I mean, for me, it's always like, and none of them have been as magical for me as Morrowind, so I'm sorry. And I realised that in 2023, Morrowind doesn't really hold up as well as it did anymore, but I've not had that same level of experience or wanting to immerse myself in a Bethesda world since that game. Well, I mean, I've heard a lot of callbacks very specifically to Morrowind in the last, I guess, since the reviews or the the early access, which is just, we're going to hold it back from everybody else, but if you give us some money, we'll let you in the door a bit earlier. Starfield dropped and... Like, and it seems like a lot of it is, like, that was kind of back when you could actually, like, kill the quest giver and maybe completely change the way that the game would actually unfold. And it's maybe why, like, Baldur's Gate 3 seems to have, like, is... I think Tears of the Kingdom is going to be the runaway Game Awards whatever champion. But I feel like Baldur's Gate 3 is kind of, like, this very surprised second comer. Yeah, I think the only thing that will hold it back is, obviously, it's limited availability on platforms and it's in a genre that is traditionally very niche. Mm, but it's also it also by all accounts has been very successful and who was it? Is it Jason Schreier is like definitely somebody who like has established like a lot of reliability. I cannot speak English. This is great for a podcast. Established like a lot of trustworthiness and reliability with his reporting. Like General Jessica was there actually a piece that went with it? I can't remember because I look at Twitter and then I go, I don't want to be here anymore, and I close Twitter again. You but, mean X? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, but can't yeah. say tweet anymore. <laughs> we can, Thanks, we can talk about how dumb Elon is at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, no, like, the idea that, like, that, you know, the developers of that game were only answering to themselves. They didn't have any investors breathing down their neck, and so they were able to, like, kind of build it put it into early access for a long time and they release it when it's ready and they're kind of reaping the rewards of being able to like which have is, it structured that way which is great that that paid off because i also imagine another scenario where that goes the complete opposite way because i think we've all seen video games that it's exactly what they wanted to do and it turns out nobody else wanted it but them i think in those cases them is like a very small group of people and you've kind of got like yeah Indie darling hubris, I guess, going on. As opposed to Sony hubris, which is definitely starting to make a big comeback this year. Like, uh, to be fair, I, I wish I had, like, like a ROG or a Steam Deck or the Switch 2 um, that can probably handle Baldur's Gate 3 to play on, because that, to me, seems like the perfect, like, lay in bed at night and play that game. Because if CRPGs do anything well, they do story and character development and world building, and... It would be very nice to 
chill out for many, many hours for the rest of the year and into next year doing that. Yeah, I would just like for my job to say, we don't need to come in for the rest of the year, but we're also going to pay you. Would you please just sit on your sofa and just chill out? Shop for, <laughs> you know, shop for groceries, clean the house, play the game for three hours every day. I'd be, yeah. And isn't that, isn't that like, I think that's the fascinating thing about these sort of really open world games is that you want to be able to immerse yourself in them, but obviously age and responsibilities and what other things we've got going on. It's almost like, I'd rather not play it at all than have to play it in a really unsatisfactory piecemeal way. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> that's a weird fact of life that I like, wonder if it's been affecting game design decisions more and more and why maybe we've just hit this weird point where a lot of the... Because I feel like... And I want to ask, is it? And like I guess we didn't really answer that question. We said yes, but we didn't really... Contem- we didn't put forward any other years. Because I'm sure there was a point in the PS1's life where a bajillion JRPGs came out and there were probably a few CRPGs... On PC oh, yeah, well. there'd be particular years where, you know, giant games were coming out and it was, you know, you know, the biggest games ever. But it's weird enough. Like Witcher like- 3 in 2015, that's probably one of the longest games I've ever played, especially when you take the DLC on board. You go back to what, is it 2011 for Skyrim now? Yeah. But the weird, um, the weird thing to contemplate is that we are kind of like the adult gaming generation like i mean i'm it's painting in broad strokes here but it's like i'm guessing your parents never really got into games my definite mine definitely a little bit of a master system outside of that no really yeah so like we are the generation where like oh now the average gamer is going to be like 40 50 years old pretty soon and, and they have responsibilities that we have to factor in that they didn't have when they were 15 year old kids in high school and they could get home somehow knock out the homework in 20 minutes and then just sit there and play until dinner was ready. And I think it's also the fact that there, there were just... There were less games coming out, for one. Well, and less access. Two, especially at that age, like, you probably weren't getting as many games per year. Well, no, like, so a, when you were you like... Are now, though, Ooh. like, again, Games Pass, like... Oh, yeah, and, that, like, that's a huge part as well. I don't know if that's part of what makes these sorts of very, very long games, at least to me less attractive because I don't need a game to last me the next six months until I can get another one. I mean, that was a big deal. Definitely, like, that... I find it annoying now when reviews still, like, factor in, like, if they give a score to, like, how long the game lasts. But I I did... I kind of understand where it came from in magazines back in the day because it's like, hey, our audience is, like, 14. And they can afford, like, one $90 (laughs) game every half a year. Yeah, if that, it's like... Well, again, like, I think kids from a particular socioeconomic background it was like you got a game on your birthday and you got a game at Christmas and unlucky if those happen to be close together yeah I mean I grew up thoroughly middle class and I still basically (laughs) got that like yeah and that's and I think that's part of it as well it's like you know you you would dig into those games and then you would you know especially for myself I know that getting Final Fantasy 7 and then Final Fantasy 8 and then Final Fantasy 9, those games would last me until I was able to get another game, whereas, you know, anything else Here's th- would, you know, what's the point? I'll just rent is, it out from the video store. What has replaced that idea is your Fortnite and your Minecraft, and again, that, like, game of the service, which is why, like, the idea of, like, a big, epic single-player game is targeting something different now. Yeah, and obviously then you got then you factor in things like Game Pass where, you know, when you look at how long it might take you to play that game, let's say you've just signed up to Game Pass just to play Starfield, but Starfield takes you a couple of months to finish. Well, Makes how Game much Pass did you really like save? Worse value because yeah. it's like, I could have played all these smaller games. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of what it is, and that's potentially why. I, I mean, I don't know the financials behind uh, game Pass at all. I don't know what they're using in terms of metrics to measure, like, obviously how much a game is played, how many times it's downloaded, all of those sorts of things. So if they can if they can get you onto a games as a service on Game Pass, then isn't that really the ideal? Because then whatever deals they've got with all these other devs are like, well, no one's playing or downloading your game, so it's on there and it makes the service look attractive. But if nobody's watching it or whatever, we don't actually have to pay you. I'm sure they still have... I mean, oh yeah, they'd be, they'd sure, be some flat rate. Again, I've like heard some developers saying it still actually works out pretty well for us. I don't know if that's going to stay that way. 
But it no, aren't they hemorrhaging the, money anyway at this point? Like, well, it's by all accounts, they, Game Pass is losing them money. I mean, again, it's Microsoft. They're just, you know, bullying their way into... Yep. Where, like, the price has gone up and then Sony has followed suit and that's a whole thing. Anyway, we have not really solved anything. That wasn't really the point of this, but I am... I saw just say that maybe there was a year probably in the 90s or the early 2000s that may have had more like just crazy epic big games if you really looked at it or at least noteworthy ones. I, feel like I think it's all relative as well like in terms of defining what is a crazy big epic game like if we want to talk about longevity Grand Theft Auto 5 is probably still the reigning king of that hmm. of any game if you look at you know, sales guess, and GTA long tail. Factor, though, is like yeah, a different yeah, like, thing. Like, like, if we're talking, I'm talking big games. I'm talking like you know, like a beginning, middle, and end, not a infinite. Yeah, not a, not yeah, not transitioning into that games as a service because then obviously we're talking about MMOs and other things like that. So yeah, like you're yeah, like limited to big single player. Then I guess this year kind of stands out because we've got a couple of entries from developers and series that would be synonymous with that kind of idea like that giant single player game where you've got your Zelda game you've got your Bethesda game regardless of what IP it happens to be you know what a Bethesda game is going to entail at this point yeah I mean I'm it's like I don't need it in fact do not want another year necessarily where we have this many quality games of this size but I do hope they all do really well and I kind of send a message to say that hey like, the audience for this shit still exists, and maybe it's worth investing in stuff without having to, like, divert hard your researchers to, like, figuring out your DLC packs and your resource and your game, again, games as a service. Elements yeah, instead I, going this path ha- absolutely has its merit. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I think that's being reflected. The, like, the money must be there. Why would Microsoft have bought Bethesda if it wasn't? Like well, they know that's is a unique case, but yeah, yeah. But it's that cachet that those sorts of games bring. Like you want Epic, you want Starfield, you want Zelda. Maybe with that upcoming uh, patch and DLC, you want Cyberpunk. I mean, I think CD Projekt Red has earned enough goodwill for you know quite a few more years with The Witcher Three. Still, I mean, it's amazing how they squandered it and then got a lot of it back again with Cyberpunk. That was kind of like an impressive feat in itself. Um, but I'm hoping it's not too much tied to exclusivity because that would be the argument for buying. Because the old argument, like ten years ago, was the only reason these games exist is because they make PlayStation look like a prestige brand. Like Uncharted, God of War would not exist if Sony weren't in the business of increasing their user base. And yeah, I, I mean, obviously that's like that's the market Sony has gone for with that third-person action-adventure sort of game. And I wonder if Xbox isn't, you know, not trying to compete against Sony with that and maybe looking at how they can make their own unique sort of brand in terms of, well, yeah, Sony have got those things, but if you want top quality shooters and you want, I don't know, what else are they really like, been pushing be out? Good. Like, we've got, um, I'm forgetting development aids again. RPGs. I mean, racing think, games. Got who, made the best for, who made the best three-day Fallout? I'm completely blinking. Uh, Obsidian. New Vegas, baby. Yeah. So they they could. You want some more Western style role playing? That could be their their shtick. I think that's going to be the really interesting. How long does it take to get out another Fallout or Elder Scrolls now? That is going to be very interesting, actually. It's. I think they've said it's going to be an Elder Scrolls. I think they've technically announced it. Exists, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm questions. I'm, questions I'm, that we'll answer in seven to eight years' time when the next I'm console generation is out. Pretty impressed with the like quality and breadth of, despite Sony really dropping the ball with first party releases, the quality and breadth of stuff that has come out this year still feels like we're waiting for the generation to start, which is a bit weird. Yeah, I wonder if COVID doesn't have a lot to do with that as well, like that weird time dilation we've all experienced since then. That and and games, I think, are just, no matter what the game is, is just taking longer to develop. Because we're at what? Like the the PlayStation 5 has been out for almost three years now? Yeah, it'll be three years in a couple months. 
which is you know not, it's not so that's more than that's more than halfway through some generations we've had in the past like we've had some shorter five year generations that have turned around pretty costs. quickly oh my yeah. god shit the camera uh, got so fast Xbox One well not the Xbox One the, the Xbox original Xbox <laughs> yep that was like a very distinct like pretty much my university life was when the when the Xbox existed I think well because um, th- it's like didn't Microsoft kick that thing to the curb when the 360 oh, came out? It, like, was, it was a foot in the door, and and, and that worked in their favor for the most part. The 360 is probably going to be their legacy console. Anyway, um, we are now talking in circles. I apologize for anybody who's still listening. Steve, do you have <laughs> do you have any? Thank you very much for saving this show when everyone That's else has right. you, know, you know manic household problems. Do you have anything that you would like to be pimping before we we wrap this thing up? Uh, obviously, uh, my Immortals of Avium review has um, gone up on Player 2, so check that out. Uh, there will be some PAX Oz content coming up on the website over the next couple of weeks as we get closer and closer to that event. Uh, I'm covering the Indie Showcase once again, so keep an eye peeled out for some really exciting uh, independent Australian digital and tabletop games. Do you think Black And Hanex some interviews with those developers. Uh, I have it on... Good authority that Blanix <laughs> is once again not appearing at Paxos. <laughs> it's kind of like it's been a couple of years since we've like actually resurrected that one. So. Yeah, I, I feel like Lance is still uh, doing He's Snow Angels and that Bloodborne money. Pretty, so uh, pretty, yeah, pretty happy. It's kind of hacking from games and running a YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think he's that's that's his muse these days. So um, we'll always have. Blanex memories, but I don't know if I'll ever have finished Blanex. <laughs> Joke, but like this started because everyone thought the game looked really cool. It's, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Where I don't know, it's kind of a, it's really tricky. What, you know, is Lance the George R. R. Martin of Australian indie game development? Yes, probably. Except way, way, way thinner. <laughs> that was maybe not perhaps called for. Um, anyway, <clears throat> do you have now, anything, Tim? Do you have anything coming out exciting? Again, if I can get round to it, there the may be a Gumbrella review coming. Maybe there won't. We'll we'll see how far much further I dig into it. I guess. Um, aside from that, yeah, I am not fuck Twitter, fuck X. I'm just gonna say like pretend beard on Blue Sky at this point. I basically only use that other one now. Ninety percent of it's just for DMing because I can't do that in Blue Sky yet. Um, I'm I'm on X at Gorath forty four thousand. Uh, look, if if it shuts down, I don't know if I'll transition to anything else. I'm kind of like weirdly find done with my social deserts. media. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can find me in Meat Space. Find Steve just like wandering around the streets, which would be incredibly creepy now that I Yes, please don't. <laughs> like, don't you know, like, oh no, you might have reference for your face.